0: Leo doesn't need subtitles for the Japanese parts, but I do. His lack of Japanese writing skills got him stuck back in Japanese too with me learning the basics, but Leo's Japanese speaking skills are advanced, especially when he talks about food. Though, I guess that's a given when you work in your Japanese grandfather's restaurant. Meanwhile, Oji-chan talks to Mrs. Matsuda in English, though he doesn't need to, to work on his language skills. Her years teaching English in Japan with a JET program after college have given her some mad skills. I aspire to get to that level. Maybe I could go to Japan on the JET program one day too. I'm not going anywhere though until my contract with HGTV is up. They own me for the rest of this season. Then I will be free. Free to be me. Free to do whatever I want without having it possibly documented on film. That's a quote from Faking Reality by Sarah Fujimura. This is YA Book Chat, and I'm your host, Leah Stuhler. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of YA Book Chat. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. I want to say a special thank you today to my brand new patron, Morgan. Welcome to the YA Podcast Patreon and thank you for your support. And thank you to all the rest of my patrons as well. Well, today I am excited to bring you guys yet another author interview. I love being able to do this. I am especially very excited to chat about this book because I loved it so much, and I think that all of you will as well. Today we are going to be talking about the book Faking Reality by Sarah Fujimura, and um, Sarah is also the author of Every Reason We Shouldn't Breathe. Tanabata wish and her books have won a variety of awards. So welcome, Sarah. I am very excited to have you here.
1: Thank you, Leah. Thanks for having me on today. I'm so excited to talk to you and your listeners and anybody who just loves YA, no matter what age you are.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I am 41 and I probably read YA books all the time. That is all Me I read, too. So <laughs>
1: people like, well, don't you want to read adult books? I'm like, why? <laughs>
0: Right. I found, I've found now that now that I do read YA all the time, when I go back and read an actual adult book, it's harder for me to get into it now. It takes longer.
1: So I start. The pacing now. tends to be slower. And I think that's what trips you up if you've been reading YA, which, you know, usually is a lightning pace, that you go and read an adult book, especially like the classics and like, this book is dragging. Yes. <laughs> well, let's, let's this up a little bit.
0: Yes, exactly. So I'm just like, you know, I'll just stick to YA. It's great. It works. (laughs) Well, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: So hi, my name is Sarah Fujimura. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and I write YA books for teens and the young at heart who are adventurous and intelligent and are globally minded and who aren't afraid to fall in love with somebody who's completely different than themselves. So this is my fourth YA book, my third contemporary YA book, my second book to come out during a pandemic with Tortine, and my first book where I ever had to do a lot of research on power tools.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I imagine there would have been a lot of power tool research for this book. Definitely. (laughs) Maybe some um, watching of HGTV as well. (laughs)
1: Yes. So if you watch um, Chip and Joanna Gaines' show Fixer Upper, Mm -hmm. they were one of the influences for this book because I wanted to, so let me back up just a little bit. So there's three things that came together to make faking reality. One is my love of the 80s movie, Some Kind of Wonderful. That's the one with artsy, you know, sweet cinnamon roll hero Keith and Watts, his friend who loves to play drums, and she's very tough. And I wanted to be Watts. I wanted to be Watts back in the 80s. (laughs) Anyway, it's that their relationship, which is the uh, best friends to lovers trope mm-hmm. so that movie plus my friend Kara mcdowell who lives here in phoenix too, her ya books uh just for clicks which is about uh, mommy blogger and the two girls who have grown up in the public eye and they they are the brand and one of the twins doesn't want to do it anymore so there's mm-hmm. there's drama with that so Kara's book plus fixer upper with chip and joanna Gaines. so that idea of their kids who have grown up on tv and are maybe probably not sure what reality is and what you know what everything is sponsored everything is crafted even though it is a nonfiction show um, the truth is everything is crafted and it's mm-hmm. crafted in such a way that they're they're showing what you want you, them to see so but I love that and I love that idea with um, Joanna Gaines being uh, half Korean and half white and her children being one quarter Asian and but are presenting very white. So that idea mm-hmm. of like the the ethnicity and the cultural and the identity that a lot of mixed Asian kids have. So your your readers, your listeners can't see me, but I'm a white middle-aged woman married to a Japanese man for almost 28 years. We have two biracial kids. And that's a common theme with a lot of mixed Asian families and, and other mixed families too, but uh, mixed Asian is what I know, that the idea of how do you fit into the bigger world when you're often told that you don't fit in here, you don't fit in there and you don't fit in over there either. So trying to figure out who you are. So a lot of teens struggle with identity and then when you're Mm -hmm. multiracial or biracial on top of it, then it just adds another layer. So that's what I wanted to play around with Cody because Cody is one quarter Japanese.
0: Right, yeah. And I loved that you included that. I thought that was um, so great. And that's because there's also, and we'll talk about it more as we go on, um, but there's also a lot of the Japanese culture in this story too, which I really loved. Why don't you just take a minute and tell everybody what Faking Reality is all about?
1: So Faking Reality is about a 15-year-old girl, Dakota McDonald, who has literally been on TV since the day she was born. And now her family's HGTV show is coming to an end. And this talented maker and builder is really struggling to figure out who she is outside of the spotlight. So meanwhile, her best friend, Leo Matsuda, he works too much in his family's business, he, they own a Japanese restaurant. And he wants to be your average teen, too. One that has free time and a social life and maybe even a girlfriend. So these two have been best friends for forever, but now they're getting older, the hormones are kicking in, and Cody's <clears> feelings <throat> have changed. And life is very painful when you fall in love with your best friend, and especially when he's dating somebody else who's a friend of yours. So that that, that special kind of pain of pining for somebody. And if you, if you tell them, you, you could ruin it. It could be great mm-hmm. or you could ruin. So in my case, um, I actually fell in love with my best friend and we, we are now been married for almost 28 years, but that does not always happen. So uh, but when life in the friend zone becomes too painful and you, you just can't be quiet anymore, but you know that you're risking more than just uh, j- just uh, an idea of like somebody who you don't have history with um, and they reject you, that's going to be painful. But when you have a huge history and then you can lose your best friend on top of it, that's just another type of, of hurt. So I'm such a mean author, (laughs) it's very relatable. (laughs) No,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Like that's one thing that I loved because it is so relatable and this happens a lot, you know, like, I mean, it's something I experienced growing up. And, um, you know, I I work at a middle school and it's something I see (laughs) happen there and with friends and their kids. I mean, it it happens a lot, you know, best friends with somebody of the opposite sex. And then all of a sudden somebody develops feelings. And what do you do? So
1: it's not always opposite sex either, because I did an event this past weekend. And so two women Uh, And they were probably in their early 20s, they came in, and I was telling them about the thing. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's what happened to us. I'm like, okay, so it's a universal thing, you know, depending on who, whoever you love, but that idea, of if you fall in love with your best friend, there's just different layers to, oh, this could go horribly wrong.
0: Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Well, I, like I said earlier, I am a huge HGTV fan. Like I could just sit and watch HGTV all day. And I do love Chip and Joanna Gaines and their show. And so I, when I read the premise of the book, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Cause then right up my alley, because I just love HGTV. But something else too, that really drew me to the story was the fact that Dakota is like, does the work with her parents. You know, she's not like, just a kid on the side, you know, like like Chip and Joanna Gaines. We see their kids, but they're, like, on the side, you know? And, and other shows, too, that happens, too. Like Hometown, they show their little girl sometimes. Um, just different shows. But, like, with this one... Dakota has been on the show with them and building and creating all these things right along with them. And so I love that because you have this like family unit dynamic of the three of them crafting and building and doing all of this together. So I really um, I really liked that aspect of it. Is that like what made you kind of decide to do it that way versus like kid on the side?
1: Um, because I loved I wanted to play around with the idea of kids who have grown up in the spotlight and but I wanted, like you said, I wanted to make it a little bit different. So I didn't want it to be just the, you know, I, I watched my family from you know, afar, I wanted to have somebody who was in the trenches and doing it and, and it's different than if it was just like the the Jenner sisters or something like that so they they it's like the Jenner sisters because they've grown up on TV they're part of the family machine they're being whether they want to be part of the family machine or not they are part of the family machine so i definitely wanted that dynamic but i wanted to give her a very interactive thing so she could decide um it's like an, another twist of okay that's been my personality forever because it had to be But I'm also really good at this. And I think that's realistic for a lot of people, especially for a lot of teens. Um, They call it the classic overachiever, the burnout, where just because you're really good at that one thing and you have put so much time and energy. and, And you see this more in my book that came out before Every Reason We Shouldn't, which is about the figure skater and Olympic hopeful who's a short track speed skater. But those kids who all their eggs are in one basket. Mm-hmm. And if something happens, whether it's an injury or something that takes them out, that's one thing. But that idea of when you lose the heart for it. And that's what Cody's struggling with. You know, she she hasn't lost her passion for it, but she's just trying to figure out like, no, I, I really enjoy what I do and this is fun. But how do I translate this into my authentic mm-hmm. expression versus what other people are telling me that I'm good at? And so that's a that's a thing a, a lot of college age kids struggle with but you know maybe you sat first chair in band but do you want to be a music major like no right you you even want to play band would you ever pick (laughs) up your instrument again even though that was very much your whole identity in high school I was a band geek Mm -hmm. you know I was a flute player I would play piccolo in the marching band that was my whole identity and then I got to I got to uh college and I'm like Oh, wow. I am not that good. (laughs) I I was good for my hometown. I am not that good. Especially, you know, compared to (laughs) the the music majors. I'm like, okay, um, I'm getting off the bus here. So it's Mm -hmm. that idea of like, do I get off the bus? Or do I sit on the bus a little bit longer? And that's more of the struggle for, you know, both of the last two books that I've had Mm -hmm. of kids working in the family business. Because you do, there's a lot of kids who work in the family business, small business, especially like restaurants. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think it's realistic for a lot of teens.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, and when I was growing up and I was in high school, my best friend's parents owned a restaurant. And so she was there all the time. Like I would go to like like Cody does here. I would go to the restaurant all the time and be with her and hang out with her and her family there while they were working at the restaurant. Um,
1: so, because yeah. you had to, otherwise you wouldn't right. get to see your friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. I wanted to spend time with her. So that's what we did, you know, until they eventually sold the restaurant. But yeah. I mean, especially a restaurant, like that is such a big commit. Like you have to be there all the time, you know? And I love, again, you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier about reality TV and how it's not really reality and it yeah. is staged, including HGTV. So I mm-hmm. love that you showed like the behind the scenes and how, um, Oh shoot. What's his name? Phil. Is it Phil? Yes. Right? Phil the how producer. He, yes. How he like guides the episodes, tells them what to say and does this and this, because I think a lot of people, don't realize just how staged stuff is. Mm-hmm. You know, like I recently discovered, I don't know if you know this, but I recently w- discovered that um, House Hunters, all those House Hunters shows are totally fake. Like the people going on House Hunters have to actually have a house picked already that they're going to oh, buy.
1: I did not know that, and- but I, I do have something <laughs> to add to that. So um, another feeding space author who's a friend of mine, Suzanne Young, um, who wrote the program and like the whole program series, she was on House Hunter with her, with her husband and kids. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't remember which episode it is, but if you go to Suzanne Young's website, it probably tells you which one oh, it was. I think look. it was, they were buying a house here in the Phoenix area. I think that's what it was from the West Coast or something like that. So
0: fun. I'm gonna have to look that up. But yeah, I read that one day and I was like, oh, okay. So it's more staged than I really thought. <laughs>
1: And, and that just is like, oh, yeah, like going behind the scenes at Disneyland. It's like, Aw. oh, shoot, <laughs> like, but no, it, I like the magic. I want to I want to believe that everything it just like you know falls into place. It's like, no, it, that's not what happens.
0: It doesn't happen like that. So that's why, you know, again, part of what I loved about the book was that you put that behind the scenes stuff in there with the producer and, you know, showing how they want things to be done, even if. Cody and her parents don't want it. Well, more Cody, but, you know, she doesn't want it to be done a certain way. And he's like very insistent. Sometimes we have to do it like this, you know, so she's struggling with that.
1: There's a lot of social commentary. So what people don't don't realize sometimes is that you can read my books and they're fun and they're rom coms. And you can, if, if, if that's what you need, if you just need to pick, pick me up or and you just want to laugh and have fun, you can read it like that. But then if you want to go back and read it a second time and start pulling out all the threads of the social commentary. And one of the social commentaries is um, girls being told who they are and what mm-hmm. they are. And don't you want to do this? And don't you want to do that? And when they push back and say, no, that's not me. I don't want to do it that way. So both with Dakota and... Um, her, her friend at the very end, who so I don't want any spoilers, but uh, a girl who is a pop sp- princess to be that idea of they get they get called you know difficult to work with. They're mm. such divas, and it's like are they. Or are they standing up for who they are and what they do? And so just, again, like picking out the little threads of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who's telling this story? And it's it is resonating now with, you know, Simone Biles and what's going on within the Olympic community with the gymnasts. Yeah. It's like, this is my story. And I'm going to tell the story, not my coaches, not the Olympic team. I'm going to tell my own story.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's how it should be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, girls, young girls especially, need to be able to stand up for themselves and tell their story, and not let other people dictate who they are and where they're going and what happens. You know, they need to have a say in it too.
1: So this one goes all out to all the girls who were considered bossy. Like, <laughs> no, they're not. They're a leader.
0: That's right. I fully agree with that. <laughs> So we talked a little bit, mentioned that the Japanese culture in this story. Oh my goodness. I I loved it. First of all, I am gonna say, um, this book made me really hungry. Like all yes, i am oh, well, oh my goodness. All the Japanese food. I literally, as I was reading it, I was literally like, especially the is it Yasoba noodles? Yakisoba. Noodle mm-hmm. Thank you. Yakisoba. I was literally like Googling okay, where can I get yakisoba noodles in my city? Like, what what Japanese restaurant can I go to? And then I asked, um, I have my sons, both each have friends who are Japanese and we got together and went swimming and we were with their mothers and I asked both of their mothers, okay, so I need you to tell me now where the good Japanese food is in the city because I just read this book and now I have to try these foods. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No. <laughs> See, again, my job is done. So yes. I, again, write for intelligent, adventurous, globally minded teens and, and the young at heart. And that's why I want to do this, this global connection of, even if you've never been to Japan, um, just understanding other people's cultures or being interested in their culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I am a foodie. Nobody will be surprised to hear that. I'm a foodie. <laughs> All of my books have food in them. And they usually have like a, each book has its own like specific suite. Uh, that comes with it and so for this book it's the uh, mochi ice cream so it's like the ice cream ball that has the soft mochi around the outside and then there's also yakisoba and ikayaki and all kinds of different foods so i always tease people but you know decide where you're going for dinner which japanese restaurant you're going to for Mm -hmm. dinner that night once you start reading because it's going to be in your brain of like must eat japanese food
0: it's true like i've literally since i started reading it like the past however many weeks it's been i'm like i have to go out for japanese i'm like i need it now
1: (laughs) It's really good. What I love about your story is that idea of you're talking to your kids' friends' moms. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. So you know, our kids are much more globally minded than we we have ever been. And with the pandemic, one of the one of the positive things is, in the past, you know, we watched the shows that looked like us and that we were interested. We'd only had limited TV time or movie time, so we're going to watch the things we know that we are actually lo- going to love. Mm-hmm. And because we all finished Netflix and Hulu, we're like, okay, well, now what? I've finished all the shows <laughs> that I would normally watch and I still have more time to spare. People started watching shows from around the world. So, And a lot of people got over their, their fear of reading subtitles. So you might watch a Korean drama or Lupin in French and you know Japanese stuff and anime. And I, it makes my heart so happy when I hear people adults say you know my kids are all have always been into anime and I just didn't get it but you know I sat down with them just to watch the show because they would not stop talking about the (laughs) show and I actually loved it it's so smart it's so funny and I really love it's not just a cartoon and I'm like Mm -hmm. yes that's what I'm talking about so just that globally minded and using different touch points so whether you come into Japanese culture through anime or manga or cosplay through the martial arts um, mine is food that's how I've always connected Mm -hmm. to Japan both with my mother-in-law teaching me how to cook and my Japanese friends both in Japan and in the United States and my Japanese American friends Um, it's a touch point for all of us that you know food is a love language and (laughs) it's something that we can connect over and have fun and I'm really lucky because most of my friends speak English very well, so I can ask them the why and the how and behind the cultural, why would you do it this way? And my mother-in-law is a retired English teacher. And so she loves to educate me on stuff, which is fine because I love it. (laughs) So she can tell me the why and the how and the history and I I love it.
0: That's so fun. I love that. I was going to ask you too about your time in Japan because I did see on your website that you travel there quite frequently. And I wanted to ask you, because in, in the book, Dakota talks about um, when her and her family went to Japan, and then there's a trip that her and Leo want to go on to Japan as well. And they talk about the city, is it Nagoya? Is that how you say it?
1: Yes, okay. that's correct.
0: Have you, have you been there? Did you pick that specific city for a certain reason?
1: Yes, so my husband actually grew up in Nagoya. Okay. And my first book, About to Wish, I set in his neighborhood in Nagoya. So you can go I to real that. places that he grew up in and there's and I and I love that in books when there's real places that you can go and visit. So if you are coming through Nagoya in July, so there's the, and if it shows up both in Tanabata Wish and Faking Reality, the Ichinomiya Tanabata Matsuri. So that's a lot of Japanese I just threw at you. So Ichinomiya <laughs> is the city. And it's outside of Nagoya. And Tanabata is the Star-Crossed Lovers Festival that <sighs> is on July the 7th. So 7-7 is a lucky night. And the Japanese do it by our regular calendar, the Koreans and the Chinese, because it actually came out came out of China. It came with okay. Buddhism across the the Asian Countries, it came out of China, so the the Chinese and the Koreans celebrate it with the lunar calendar. So it's usually somewhere in August, but it's the two star-crossed lovers who only get to meet once a year, and that's the oh. kind of the theme for Tan to Wish that you shouldn't have found each other. Um, and Matsuri means festival. So there is a big festival. And even though Tanabata is in early July, it's usually at the end of, near the end of July, just because Japanese kids go to school until they don't get out for summer break until mid July. So they, okay. they wait and they do the festivals on the, on the weekends a little bit later. But that is a real festival. So if you're coming through Japan, you're coming through Nagoya and it's near the end of July, look for the Ichinomiya Tanabata Matsuri. It's very famous. And all the things that you see in Tanabata Wish came from my research when I was there. And then I pulled that over into faking reality. So the the people make yakisoba uh, yaki and the, the squid on the stick. Uh, I have not tried squid on the stick because I'm not a huge squid fan, but I, I have pictures of the squid on the stick. And so I try to like pull real things that you would see. Um, and so that's fun. But Coming back to your original question, I go to Japan every summer, except for the the past two years because Mm -hmm. of COVID. I've been doing that with my kids since they were four and six, and now they're 23 and almost 21. So we spend about a month every summer in Japan. His parents don't live in Nagoya anymore. They live out in the countryside in Gifu Prefecture. So that's rice paddies and mountains and greenery and and Phoenix kids are like, what is this? And there's rain, (laughs) lots of rain. So we've been doing that for a long time. And we live with my in-laws and we live a Japanese lifestyle and we do a lot of traveling. And then when my husband comes for part of the the vacation we go and make all kinds of like little side trips so things we, we've done like the big things that a lot of American tourists would do so I mm-hmm. love to go to Kyoto and Osaka and Tokyo and all the different things that a lot of people do but because my husband can drive and, and translate for us because our we all we were all studying both Japanese and English um, but we are not at my husband's level of being bilingual yet we're working on it <laughs> uh, but he can help us with like the little things so we can do off the beaten path so my favorite Probably our family's favorite trip that we've ever done in Japan is going to Bunny Island. So if you've been on YouTube, it's really, there's a little tiny island in Japan that all the bunnies are like all over the island. Because what happened is there used to be a munitions factory during the war and they had like a little small school and the school had two little bunnies. Well, and you know what bunnies do. And when they left the island, because it's a tiny island, they were like, "Well, just let the bunnies free. Uh-huh. Okay, there are bunnies everywhere. So if you see the YouTube video where like you shake the little thing, the lady's like kind of like jogging down the street and there's this herd of rabbits coming after, that's a true thing. So beautiful <laughs> water, beautiful land. And of course you get to feed the rabbits and um, they can be a little bit aggressive, <laughs> uh, but that's probably our favorite trip that we've ever taken. So, you know, we want to be this bicultural, um, bilingual family, and that's what I wanted to show through Leo's character, where mm-hmm. he doesn't have to choose. Oh, I'm only American. Oh, I'm only Japanese. That he can move back and forth, but he has some of the more realistic limitations that a lot of biracial kids and bilingual kids have here, where maybe they they only they do they're fluent in Japanese, but they only know one style of it, and they can't write it. So that's mm-hmm. why Leo's taking Japanese because he he never learned how to write it. He can hear it and he can speak it. And then also just like the who depends on who you're talking to. He only knows a very informal you're talking to your family. You know, you wouldn't talk to your, your teacher or you know, your, your boss that mm-hmm. way. So he has to go back and learn learn the basics for the language that he's fluent in, which is kind of a <laughs> twist on, you know, on things. And then for Cody, because she's one quarter and her mom, her mom is older. So she her mom grew up in a time where. And this, this is true for a, a lot of my friends who um, maybe immigrated to the U.S. with their family, is they, they needed to assimilate as fast as they can. So in the 80s mm-hmm. or in the 70s, they needed to lose their, lose their language, lose their culture, lose their accent, lose everything. You need to be as white American as you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true so much anymore, that you can be one of those kids. And there's another character in the book, um, Alex. Santos, who is the same, where he is uh, part of a Mexican American family who's half white and half Mexican American. And that idea that he can be back and forth. And that's what I see a lot Mm -hmm. in my real life of those kids who move back and forth where they need to be. And they can choose um, how they fit into the bigger world. And that's part of the bigger identity question.
0: Yeah, it's, Funny that you said that about you know with Leo. Well, and your son not being able to write it either, yes. because so my son's best friend, who is his mom is Japanese and his dad is white, and they they go to Japan almost every year as well. Um, he she put both her son and her daughter in Japanese school. And we just had this conversation the other day where I had asked her how it was going because when we were together, he was speaking a little bit of Japanese with her. And that's exactly what she said to me was, well, he's been doing really well with speaking it, but he can't write it. Like he's just struggling and he can't write it.
1: I still feel for (laughs) these kids because my kids did Japanese Saturday school too. And Mm -hmm. they absolutely hated it. Absolutely, we only lasted like a couple of years. Because what they don't understand is there is a lot. So let me back up a little bit. So the idea of the Japanese Saturday school is you have a lot of with like with my husband's company and other Japanese companies where the families come for three to five years and then they go back to Japan. Mm -hmm. So the kids are going to have to go back into the Japanese school system. So they need to understand Japanese history. They're even doing math in Japanese. They're doing like written kind of stuff, especially at the higher levels. So that way they can transfer back into the Japanese school system and not be completely lost. So that's a little bit different from the past where like, we moved to America and now it's an ESL program and we need to learn as fast as we can and forget about the rest of the stuff. So that's yeah. a totally different kind of idea. So we did it for a while um, and the idea of going to school on Saturday and doing homework and because my kids didn't speak Japanese coming in and a lot of our friends who are mixed Asian couples, the mom is Japanese. So the mm-hmm. kids are used to mom speaking Japanese and the ones who had white moms or, or at least non non-Japanese moms really struggled um, and that that is a problem for them. So the one good thing though about it is even though it didn't go well then and we finally just gave up on it we we look for different ways for them to connect into it so through Japanese media so whether you know it's Anime, Sailor Moon, the Power Rangers, the <laughs> Ultraman. Uh, my son loved Common Writer. That idea of using pop culture as a way to to continue to learn and plant the seeds in there, and then when my kids got to high school, their high school had a Japanese program, and so they're they're the Leo in Dakota where they're going back to school and trying to trying to learn the basics. But it was they they were there because they wanted to be there, and mm-hmm. they could see how it helped them when we went to Japan and when we traveled and getting over your, your fear of speaking. So they're actually ahead of me, even though I've been technically studying Japanese longer. So uh, <laughs> where do we're we're I start as young as you can? Because the older you get, yeah. the harder it is.
0: Oh yeah, I uh you know, I've often so my oh gosh, if it was my great grandparents came over to the US from Italy and they spoke Italian and they they spoke Italian with my grandparents. However, my grandparents were, you know, like what you said, wanted to felt like they needed to assimilate more and so they stop speaking Italian. Like my grandmother would just kind of sprinkle in a few words here and there, things that I have known and been saying, you know, ever since I was little, but, um, because they stopped speaking it fluently, you know, all the time, like my mother never learned Italian, you know? And so I've, it's a part of that. Like, I love being Italian American. Um, it's a great, you know, I've been to Italy a couple of times. I absolutely just love it. Um, but I, like missed having that part, you know, I missed, and I really wished that they had kept speaking Italian so that I could have learned more of it. Uh, I have taught myself a little bit. I taught myself some, um, to get us by when we traveled and we went there, which is really helpful. I felt so proud of myself when I was able to like have a conversation with somebody. It was great. (laughs) you know. I loved it. And I've tried to, you know, teach myself more, uh, even still, but it's like you said, you know, it's hard as an adult it's harder to learn it. And it's also like, I don't really know anybody here who speaks yeah, Italian yeah, fluently. And then so I, get, I don't like- have anybody. I would probably do better with Japanese because I, because both of my sons, their best friends are Japanese and their moms speak Japanese fluently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, like I don't have anybody like that who's Italian. So yeah, I just, you know, I end up losing it and not remembering it, but
1: so it's actually better to be immersed in it, and where you have like no choice, you have no choice. It's mm-hmm. like well, I don't know, Am i conjugating it right. It's like so I, I speak <laughs> caveman Japanese, but I can get like a shop. I can find the toilet. I can find food. Mm-hmm. I can take public transportation. I'm okay. I'm just not articulate, and I look kind of silly, but it's it's all right. It's, it's okay. So because you're Italian, um, have you read Breathe yet? So have you read my I historical have not. fiction? So Breathe is set in 1918, Philadelphia against the Spanish flu pandemic. It came out in 2018 and who knew that two years later that we would all become experts in pandemic living, (laughs) right? but it's an upstairs downstairs romance. So if you like Downton Abbey or The Greatest Showman, Mm -hmm. uh, we have our girl who is the debutante who's in this gilded cage and she wants to be a surgeon in a time when most girls didn't even go to college. And she falls in love with their chauffeur who is an Italian American boy who wants to go to medical school also. So it's that push and pull between the two of them where, because he's a man, he can do things that she can't, mm-hmm. but she's also wealthy and she's white and she's waspy. So she can do things that he can't. So there's that push and pull, but also what you're talking about of sort of what went with your, your grandparents of leaving, leaving the the Italian experience behind and yet it's still part of your life. And so mm-hmm. for Marco and this thing where he has this persona, and this is what I kind of see a little bit more, more with my, my husband's generation of you have your, your person who you are at home, and then you have your person who's out facing. So Marco is is trying to be as, just, as waspy as he can when he's out in the real world. But when he when he takes uh, Virginia into Little Italy in the 9th Street Market in Philadelphia, he goes full Italian, full Italian, <laughs> and, so, and it just all comes out. And that's my mom. So my mom, I'm also, my mom is from Scotland, and most of the time she speaks with a, you know, pre-American accent or maybe a little bit of British tinge, but if you get her around her Scottish friends, like, Who are you? Oh my gosh. It just it just all comes out. But it's beautiful. And you know, she's Mm. having tea with her British friends and her Scottish friends and you know it sounds like we're on a set of outlander.
0: (laughs) I love that though. And that's it's funny. That's actually I kind of get that way too. Like because even though my grandparents didn't speak Italian fluently, they still, you know, like I said, peppered in words here and there. And so I did pick up a few things and we still had all of the like to italian traditions and d- celebrations and different things um so there was still that huge aspect of italian culture which was great and i love it and um i kind of get the same way like when i've gone to little italy or i'll be watching something we well actually uh what was that new that new kids movie that luca Oh my gosh, I was like I in my element. It it's so cute. And it takes place in Italy. And so uh-huh. I was in my element watching that movie and like saying all this stuff in Italian. And my kids were like, Mom, what? <laughs> And we have uh, a book series by Tommy DiPaolo called Uh Stregonona. and Stregonona is Italian. And so I read it and I read the Italian words like in it, you know, Italian with the accent and everything. (laughs) So you just, you can't help it, you know, when you're, you're part of it and you're proud of your nationality. So I love, yeah, I just so loved that aspect of this book that the Japanese culture was celebrated in such a way. I did want to ask you, did you, any of the Japanese language that you used in the book, was it stuff that you knew or did you have to kind of look up some of that?
1: Oh, so this is, this is an interesting point, especially for people who are writers. So don't use Google translate (laughs) and think that you're good because in, in Japanese, so I've studied book Japanese. And book Japanese tends to be ultra polite, because it's preparing you to be in a work setting or something like that. Mm -hmm. And even with my Japanese friends are like, sir, you don't have to use that form. We know we've been friends for 20 years now. And it's like, yes, I have to, because that's the only way I know how to say it. So, uh, but that (laughs) idea of within the Japanese language, and I don't know with other languages, but there is it depends on who you're talking to. So mm-hmm. not only are, you know, are is, is, is an elder or somebody who is more powerful than you, um, between men and women, between two girls, between two boys. So that idea of like, even though my Japanese wasn't wrong, it wasn't right either. Mm-hmm. It was book Japanese. So the idea of my husband coming back in and saying, okay, that's not wrong, but um, you know, if he's talking to his grandfather, they have a very casual relationship, but it's a respectful casual relationship. Mm-hmm. So he would say it this way. Now, if he's talking to his best friend, two dudes are talking smack to each other. You <laughs> know, they would usually, you know, a different way of talking to each other. So knowing who you're talking to and and what fits. So having your people who are native speakers to make sure that they look over it or to tell you, it's like, okay, well, you translated it correctly. Um, so in Tanabata wish, there's also a lot of Japanese and the idea of um, like Himitsu, which is secret. And so it's like a sweet secret. So um, the, just the little things, <laughs> like things that you wouldn't know and your, mm-hmm. Google's not going to tell you, but your friends are like, oh no, 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 no. Um, and then also because they're from Nagoya, it's sort of like the dialects taking into mm-hmm. account regional sayings um, so making sure that you know Nagoya is Ben so Nagoya Ben is different from Osaka Ben and from Tokyo Ben so making sure that it sounds right for that area And so that's why yeah. all my books are set in Nagoya because my husband's from Nagoya <laughs> <laughs> that way
0: It makes it so much easier for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I know that there are there are other languages like that like I remember learning Spanish in school and being like, this is confusing. Like, <laughs> I actually, I mean, I picked, I was able to pick it up, but just, yeah, the differences between formal and informal. And um, yeah, so it just, it does oh, get tricky. All,
1: so I have a lot of Mexican American friends. And so they were talking about their kids trying to learn, or they were trying to learn, you know, Spanish so that they could speak to their grandparents. It's like, sort of like you, mm-hmm. except they, they learned the uh, Spanish, 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 Spain, Spanish versus Mexican Spanish, which is two uh, totally different things. And so they said like, and my abuela just laughed and laughed and laughed because she's like, what are you <laughs> saying? I don't know. Even what if you're it's talking correct, about. if it's fluent, it's still wrong. So yep,
0: <laughs> And it's even, it's even like that in Italy too. Cause my, on my mom's side my grandfather's family was from naples which is like further up north but my grandmother's family was from sicily you have to
1: breathe so, because that's where marco's family is from, is from Naples. Okay. yep so it's like
0: you know you have the Na- napoli and northern italy and then Cis- sicilian is
1: totally different
0: so it's like totally uh-huh. different dialects but i definitely want to there's, there's a regional,
1: like clanism kind of thing too because mm-hmm. and that's in breathe also of like oh you know, we, we, the Oreos, we're from Nepoli. So, and, you know, they're from Sicily and they think they're better than us. It's like, you're still from Italy. But it's that I that, that, that comes across too. And, yeah. and all the little, little things.
0: I will say one moment of half Sicilian pride here. Um, Sicilians are the ones who make cannolis. So there you go. <laughs> better dessert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love all Italian food and desserts really. Who am I kidding? <laughs> So one of the themes that I noticed in the book that I kind of wanted to ask you about too, was that just this theme of how important their family is. Like, cause you can see it with both the Matsudas and the McDonald's um, with how their family, how important their families are, you know, within their own families to each other, mm-hmm. but then them together too, like they have Matsuda Mondays, which I love where their families get together and they spend all this time together. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, you know, why, including that family dynamic and that theme was kind of so important to you?
1: Because family is important to me. And also, if you read a lot of YA, there's a lot of, a lot of orphans in YA. And sometimes you need it because you need it for the plot point. But the things that make me roll my eyes are the number of YA books that have parents who are just checked out, clueless, don't notice anything. And I know that's partially fantasy, because a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. have. Um, parents who, you know, in their business 24-7 and they really wish they were a little bit more clueless and not, you know, <laughs> you know keeping accountability. But I, you know, I write, I write realistic YA and not everybody has a perfect childhood. I have mm-hmm. definitely have teens in my life who don't have somebody who to care for them or they're the adult in the, in the family. But most of the kids in my, that are in my periphery are ones that have at least one parent and it doesn't have to be their biological parent. It might be a foster parent, it might be a grandparent. They have one adult in their life who has a hand on them and, so, and will you know, help them up and keep them going and cheerlead for them. But at the same time, we'll bust their butt if they mess up and just to keep them accountable and even though it it might hurt at the time a lot of you know adults were like yep no I need that one person just (laughs) told it to me straight bust my chops but yeah I needed I needed to do that so I I love to play around it doesn't have to be the leave it to beaver definition of of family but that Mm -hmm. idea that there are adults in your life and I love playing with grandparents and so I have both Leo's grandfather who they call ojichan which is like grandpa and because Uh, because Cody's parents had her very late in life, all her grandparents are gone. And so she Mm -hmm. doesn't have somebody of that generation. And so Oji-chan calls her her, his bonus granddaughter and he treats her just like one of the other kids. And she has somebody to look after her and understand her, even though they're not biologically related. But I wanted to create families that look realistic and then also the the power of families and understanding Mm -hmm. that both of these kids are in the business and they're part of the machine. For good or for bad, they're part of the machine. And so they understand each other where they don't have, maybe Leo doesn't have time for a whole lot of relationships outside of the business. And for Cody, it's a time issue, but it's also a trust issue that she has a very small, though she has a lot of superficial kind of friends. There are a very small amount of people around her who she really trusts because she's been hurt so many times. And I think Mm -hmm. that's realistic for a lot of people in business where like, you, you, you used me until you got what you wanted whether it was five minutes of fame or the tabloid picture or, you know, every time I open myself up, I get hurt. So Mm -hmm. part of her thing is trust and consent again. So we were talking about (laughs) a little bit earlier. You can just read this as a rom-com, start picking out those things. And one thing is consent and consent doesn't have to mean sexuality. Consent can be, no, you cannot take my picture. No, you cannot hug me. No, we cannot take a selfie together um, or just like, no, you can't tell my story. So consent can be a whole gamut of things. And that's what I wanted to play around with. So we have, even though Cody does do the physicality of consent, and we see it when she dates Alex for a little while too, of asking for consent from may I kiss you Mm -hmm. and uh, all the way to whatever you want to do. But that idea of like consent, 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 but it's, it's not in a prudish kind of way. It's just the, no, this is the norm. And it makes sense for her because people want a piece of her. And even if it's in a loving way of like, oh, I love your show. And I feel like, you know, I know you I feel like we're friends. Like your family's my family. Can I take a selfie? And, and Dakota has anxiety from it because people want a piece of her and she Mm -hmm. has to decide who and when and how and what she gives other people.
0: Yeah. And I love that. You know, my, my son, my oldest son has sometimes said to me, Mom, do you think it would be really fun to be famous? And I'm like, no. And I immediately say, no. And he, you know, and he's like, well, why? And then I explained to him, you know, like what you're saying people just want to be around you all the time. They want to take pictures. They want to talk. They think that they know you, even though they don't really know you, you know. Um, so it's, I, I don't even want to be <laughs> like in that position at all. You know, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Just, you know, listening to, I listened to um, Harry, Prince Harry talk about, you know, in an interview that he did talking about how just in LA where they were living down the street from um, Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry uh-huh. and, and how
1: oh, like, Legolas. I love the Lord I, of the Rings. Like, yes, please.
0: <laughs> yes. But he talked about how like, Orlando Bloom would text him and say, hey, there's a photographer down the street. Just so you know, he's across the street because they live next door to each other. And he's like, Mm -hmm. and he's, you know, in the back of this van, just FYI, like waiting for us to come out. You know, like I can't even imagine that. But yeah, I mean, that's what Dakota's life is. That's what she's got to wear, like the ball caps, keep her head down when they go out anywhere. Like that's what, I mean, they mostly only go to his family's restaurant because of that. And it is a lot to deal with, but I love that even though Leo like can't, Understand that aspect of it, he's got it kind of in a different way with being in his family business. So mm-hmm. they are, they're such perfect best friends. I love it. <laughs> and I will say, um, OG, OG John, OG John. Mm-hmm. Thank you. OG John was one of my favorite characters. Like he just, I was like, can you be my grandpa too?
1: Aww. I love you.
0: <laughs> he's so sweet. Um, I just, you know, loved how, like you said, you know, he takes Dakota under his wing and she's his second granddaughter. And uh, you know, and um he's just was so caring and loving and is I he he was one of my favorites for sure. I mean, all of the characters in this book are fantastic.
1: I, loved- I, I love I love playing with that dynamic. So you see the reverse in Tanabata wish. Only it's Riohei and Riohei is uh, biracial Japanese and white, and he goes to Japan every summer to stay with his grandparents. So real life, uh, <laughs> but he it's his, the relationship that he has with his grandmother. Both both mm. of his grandparents, but his grandfather's passed away, and so it's his relationship with his grandmother. And so even though they are totally different. Um, They need each other. And I love to see that when when grandparents and and grandkids have a special relationship or have a special bond. And you don't always have to agree and there can be some push and pull. But at the same time, they can be your strongest advocate and cheerleader and maybe in ways that your parents aren't or Mm -hmm. can't see it or they're still unpacking their own issues that they have.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I was very close with my grandparents, both my grandmother and my grandfather. Um, and so I can see, you know, a lot of that relationship, like with Leo and OG Chan. And it it was, and again, just another reason, you know, for me, because I can connect to it in that way, because of the relationship that I had with mm-hmm. my grandparents. And um, so it's just, I feel like, like all the way around, there are so many different aspects of this book that are so relatable and realistic. And that's part of what makes it so fantastic. And I love it. So I'm just sorry, I'm just going to gush because I just loved it so much.
1: Oh, that, makes, <laughs> that makes me so happy because there's people like, my book is not for you. It's like, I can't connect with it. Okay. That's fine but obviously there's other people that it it really resonates mm-hmm. on a very cellular level and there's that universal story that people can connect to. So even if you're like I don't know how to build, I don't care about building. It's like no, but if, that's not what the story is about. Yeah. The story is about, you know, just love and connections and and being safe and being vulnerable.
0: Yeah, and it was it's great. I like too the dynamic between Stephanie and Phil how like Phil is the like pushy, strong, we have to do it this way, kind of. And Stephanie is on the other side, like she's more on Dakota's side and, you know, sees, tries to see things more from her perspective too. So I loved that give and take between the characters. So, you know, we have that and there's all these different relationships within like each family unit. And then obviously Dakota and Leo, how they are with, Leo's sisters as well who were fantastic (laughs) in and of themselves um so what was it like for you like creating these characters and their relationships and I was actually kind of curious too if any of them were based off of people in your own life
1: not really the only character so usually I'm a story collector so I'm the person who has their headphones on at Starbucks and she's technically really eavesdropping on your conversation if it's really interesting. Just pretend <laughs> um, I love to people watch. I love to collect stories that I you know people tell me or I see or I read and I don't I don't repeat those stories but I pull strings of them and then I weave them together and put them in my own lens of, of my characters. So um, there's not there's not anybody that they're based on real people, for, with a couple exceptions. So within Faking Reality, the character of Stephanie, who is the talent coordinator for the show, is actually based on a real person, and she helped me with the book. So her name is Sarah Van Acker, and Sarah has been working in production, TV production, especially realistic um, unscripted tv for for a very long time in various different roles but one of her roles was stephanie's role where she's working with the talent and so you know the show is saying we want this this and this and the and the (laughs) people who are filming are like we don't want this we don't want the stars are saying like i don't want this like okay no okay we're gonna just get we're gonna make we're gonna find a happy medium Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be an advocate for you i'm gonna be an advocate for them so i get paid by them but she has their their best interest in mine and so it is based a little bit on on sarah's life and what she was doing and being that in-between person um and also sarah looked at it and she helped me fix the the behind the scenes of the tv stuff so for the average person it didn't what i had wasn't wrong you would never know but she just helped me make it more authentic and right and then she even explained some things like with the the car that that cody will get if she does this whole over the tops my super sweet 16 (laughs) just ridiculousness oh yeah selling herself out for but she gets a mustang and so that actually (sighs) came from uh sarah van She helped me with that whole that whole part and then like the special verb verbiage that goes around that that's like the the special talk for that Mm -hmm. so she helped me with that and then she helped me um again i don't want to give you spoilers but there's one part um when when we finally get to see Leo and and Cody kiss, uh, what happens right after that also came from Sarah Van Ecker. She's like, nice. "Oh, because this is what, this is what they would do. This is what the film mm-hmm. would totally do, even though Phil's not a real person." Right. Um, Help me with that part too of just the massaging of the story, and you get what you want. It's true, but it's not true at the same time, or right. like an advanced version or a warped version of what you get. So she's true. And then the only other character that I've done that that I've made that's sort of based on reality is in my last book. Um, every Reason We Shouldn't, which is about the washed-up figure skater and the boy who comes into her family's rink who wants to be the next Apollo Ono. And so hmm. that's the only book I had the the love interest first. And it's told from Olivia's point of view. But I had Jonah's character first, and he is very much influenced by Apollo Ono, okay. the short-track speed skater, mm-hmm. the well-decorated Olympian. Yes, he and is. <laughs> his, and and Apollo Ono is half Japanese, half white, so his, his mom is white and his dad is Japanese. So I'm like, yay! Uh, but Apollo... He wrote his his autobiography about when he was about 15 years old, and he had a lot of raw talent. He was winning a lot. And they're like, okay, we're going to start training you for the Olympics. So he moved up a level to with the big boys and the big boys were handing his butt to him every single day. And he's like, okay, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. This is really hard. I have to actually work to do stuff. And so his dad, his dad is a single dad. Um, took him to like some place like out in the Pacific Northwest just dropped him off for like two weeks like I'm this would never fly today but he's like I'm gonna drop you off at our little cabin in the woods for two weeks with some food and the dog and I will come back and pick you up and then you will tell me (laughs) if we are going to move forward or if we're done but we're not gonna do it halfway we're either gonna do it we're not gonna do it but you you, I'll come back in two weeks and pick you up and you'll tell me what we're gonna do that would never fly today but no (laughs) um, he writes about that whole time and that was so fascinating to me that I pulled a lot of strings out of that story and wove mm-hmm. them into Jonah. So people are like, "Really? Would he try? Would he train that hard?" It's like, "Yeah, no, he did." Yeah. yeah. Is he? Why does he have such a weird issue with food? It's like that diet came right out of Apollo Ono's book. The, the, <laughs> the brown rice and the salmon and the, all the hard-boiled eggs that boy eats comes right out of, uh, <laughs> out of, the, of the biography. So um, that's the only other book that was really based on like a real person it just Mm -hmm. had my lens on some of the stories that came out of of their life
0: yeah and side note i really don't think people realize how hard olympic athletes train and what they do like it's insane it's insane
1: (laughs) there's a show on hbo and it came out last summer uh, but it's it's on there right now it's called the weight of gold and so trigger warning is about suicide and and Mm -hmm. depression and and ideation of uh, suicide. So just if that's not for you, don't watch it. Uh, but it, it really peels back what's going on with the gymnasts and stuff right now mm-hmm. and lets you see Some of the mental health issues for people who are hyper focused, and I show that in every reason we shouldn't, that idea of like, and they'll say it, they like, didn't care about school, didn't have any friends, had no life balance, all my eggs are one basket. And Mm -hmm. when things go wrong, and especially if it's not like an injury or an accident or something that takes you out, but like you just lose your spark or for whatever reason you work as hard as you can and it's not enough, how devastating it can be. And when you're, you know, Tara Lipinski, and you hit your gold, or and when you're 15 years old,
0: what do you do? Now what? What do you what do? But you, like yeah. you lost
1: your identity. So even if you win, you lose in some way. So it's a, yeah. it's very hard to watch. Um, Michael Phelps, who who lives here in Phoenix, um, mm-hmm. he's in there, and there's some bobsledders and some skaters. Sasha Cohen's in there. Uh, Grace Gold is in there. So if you want to get in, if you're reading Every Reason We Shouldn't, and you want to see, uh, Paolo is in there also, uh, yes. and you want to see behind the scenes and understand the why behind it. Um, it's a very interesting, but thought provoking, but sad show.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's something that people need to see and understand, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're like with um, what's happening right now with Simone, so many people criticized her, but you don't, they don't just don't realize what it's like and all the pressure and how hard it is mentally. So I think it's something people need to be more aware of.
1: And that bigger, that bigger thing about consent and yeah. being bossy and yep. being your own advocate and doing what's right for you. Oh, there's so many, there's so many little threads that we can pull yes. out and weave together. <laughs>
0: going back to some of the characters, I loved the character of Nevea as well. Mm -hmm. They were fantastic because everybody, you know, like, even if there are, you know, girls who had young girls who have a best friend, who's a boy who then they develop feelings for, you still need to have another somebody, another friend in your life who can help you navigate through that. And Nevea was just perfect as that you know for Cody and they were just like that fun like spunky out of the box like friend I feel like we all need you know like we all need a friend
1: like Nevea. I do (laughs) one of the the fun things about Nevea is Nevea. so we're we're using they pronouns because they are gender fluid I do not know what their gender is I don't know what they look like um I give I only talk about their step parents because I wanted to give them a be them a blank slate so you can fill in Mm -hmm. that person who's in your life who might fit that yeah. um, they do have an over the top personality and they have a penchant for trying to find all the loopholes in the school <laughs> handbook. And that, that one, actually that thread came from my daughter. So my daughter, it, it came up in my time hop the other day when she moved to a uh, prep school in junior high. And we had to have a very serious talk with the educators about, okay, no, you can't, you had, she had to wear a uniform for the first time ever. No, you cannot wear wings. Oh. No, you cannot wear a crown. No, you <laughs> cannot have your hair blue. Um, The Sharpie, the tattoo Sharpies and stuff that, 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 you know, you can't show that you have tattoos and that's more of a modern thing, but but the idea of like, you can't make, you can't do drawings on your hand with Sharpies or, you know, uh, eyeliner pencils. Um, (laughs) So that was my daughter. So that's a little wink to her because she, it's like, well, it doesn't say that. It does not say that you cannot Mm -hmm. wear wings. And she did actually. She did a lot of time in detention because of like this is how Uh-oh. I express myself and yeah. that's when I want to see Nevaeh like oh I dare somebody write me up because then becomes <laughs> a thing. so for Nevaeh her stepmom is Indian Indian American and they're going to a family wedding and part of the family tradition for her family is doing the Mahindi uh, paint uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. on their hands and stuff. And so Nabea's like, no, this is a cultural thing. I, and she says very low. I dare, they say very low. <laughs> I dare somebody to come in and tell me I can't do my, do my culture, <laughs> so, my family's culture. So
0: yeah. I loved it. Your daughter would love the middle school that I teach at because they don't, it's, uh, there are a lot of students who are just, there aren't restrictions like that. They don't have to wear uniforms. Um, And the kids, I mean, you see all kinds of kids walking around with like blue hair and rainbow hair and and wear all the crazy outfits and the things and like so expressive. And I love it. Like I love seeing all the students come in and just the different ways that they express themselves. It's a lot of
1: fun. So she only did, she only went to the, the charter school with the uniforms through junior high and then we'd had enough and she came over <laughs> to the high school and that's what the high school was. So yeah. to the fact that like she would come like completely in different characters almost each day. <sighs> and when she didn't, when well, she was running late or she was tired, they were like, are you sick? You know, you're not dressed. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a thing. You don't have a thing going today. So Oh, I love
0: that. I love that. Your daughter sounds very fun and creative and expressive.
1: She's an artist and and that that idea of like it, you could be an artist in many different ways. And that's what I was Mm -hmm. experimenting with Cody, that idea of everything she does has an artistic flair and it doesn't have to be, you know, in your face, but she can't not do it that way. So that's- yeah, I and I can't follow directions. Like, no, the, her art teacher said, no, yes. you're the people who make the big things happen because you can't follow directions. Mm-hmm. You have to put your own unique stamp and artistic style on everything you do. And that's a good thing, even mm-hmm. though if you get told that, you know, you get back in the box, get back in the box and do it the way I told you to do it. So.
0: And thank you for putting that in there because that is so important. Like, you know, her other, her other teachers want to like have her, you know, put back in the box and like, this is not okay. And her art, but her art teacher gets it. And is was like, no, you are creative. You need to express yourself this way, be outside the box and be different, you know? And like, that is, and I, um, I actually, I'm a drama teacher, so I have a degree in theater and was an actor for many years. And so I am that
1: <laughs> also. Very creative, oh, like me, outside I love of the box kids, person and kids, yeah, Japanese like, kids, you know the the Japan culture club kids, anime kids, mm-hmm. love, love them all.
0: And it's just, it's you know, as a creative person, it is like Dakota is, you know, it's really hard when you do have those people, and there are always those people who say, no, you can't do it that way, or you know, you need to stay within these realms. You know, you're not able to do this. Don't like stop trying to push the limits or be, you know, and you're like, but that's who I am, you know? So like, I loved that you put that in there with her art teacher, just encouraging her like that to be herself and push and stay outside of the box and not be stuck in there. Like everybody wants her to be, but again, be who she wants to
1: be. So autonomy, consent, (laughs) all those little things, Just this is who I am. And, you know, I can, I can do things the way finding common grounds of not being a people pleaser. So that's another like mm-hmm. feminist kind of thing of, you know, just be quiet and do what you're told. Sit down. Mm-hmm. Be smaller than you are. It's like, no, you can Mm-mm. still do, you. Can, you can be a good person and a strong person and not steamroll over people too. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. What were some of the challenges that you faced when writing this book?
1: I was writing about a lot of stuff I didn't know anything about. to start with. I'm like, really brain? Can we not pick something I actually, you know, have a depth of knowledge about? Um, My brain does that to me all the time. It's like, let's do this. I'm like, I don't know anything about that. But the good thing is I started off as a journalist. So I know how to do research. Nice. And I have a lot of different friends. And even if my friends can't answer the question, they usually know somebody who can. So I, they're just awesome. They help me so much. And I, that's why I always have like a really long acknowledgement section in the back of all the ways people have helped me figure out how to do things from everything from learning how quinceañeras work from my hairdresser, because she does a lot of quinceañera hair and she's Mexican-American. I didn't know what a quinceañera was until I got to Arizona. I'm like, what is this? And I didn't understand the, how it works. Um, and but you get to see that with when Alex is talking about him being, you know, parts of other girls quinceañeras and stuff. I, I wanted to weave that in because that is a very Arizona thing and probably Texas. In California too, that um, that happens a lot. So it's the yeah. 15th birthday, and even with Dakota seeing her 16th birthday, and some of those things echoing across. But um, because I've done a lot of journalism, magazine articles, and things, and in, in interviewing people, I know how to ask questions. I also know how to do research, and I might start with you know just the YouTube or like a simple Google search. But I also know how to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, mm-hmm. and I'm lucky with the people who know how to do power tools. It's a a friend of mine. And if she didn't know what the answer was, she could ask her dad, because her dad knew what the answer was and she knew what most of the answer or she could like, let me, let me check with my dad. I think this is right, but let me check with him. And just the idea of, it doesn't have to be, it didn't have to be perfect for the Mm -hmm. average reader because they're not going to know, but uh, it's like, no, no, I want it to be correct. I want it to be correct. So having her look at that kind of stuff is, is fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought it was great. I mean, as I was reading through it, I was definitely like, yeah, I don't know how any of these tools would work. I always kind of wonder that when I watch HGTV shows too, I'm like, how do you even do that? (laughs) How do you know which tool, how does that tool like do that? Anyway. So
1: yeah. I fun (laughs) play myself. So with, with, the scene where she's um, learning how to weld and and Mm -hmm. Leo comes over to their shop and and he's like, ooh, I want to play with blowtorch too. (laughs) And her dad's like, it's not a blowtorch, it's a ceiling torch. And and that's because that's what my friends. It's not a blowtorch. It's a blowtorch. <laughs> so Those little things that don't make or break the story, but it's like, oh, and I had that totally wrong. Um, I can <laughs> I can laugh at myself about it and, and change things, or or that's how I explain to the reader what it is.
0: Yeah. Okay. So one final question for you, and this is really, this is really for me because. <laughs> Although I have a feeling that other people reading this book who love it as much as I do and love Dakota and Leo as much as I do may want to know this as well. Um, Selfishly, I'm wondering is there a chance you would ever come back to this? Like of see Dakota and Leo again. Cause I'm like, oh, I wanna know more about them and what happens yeah, I, after definitely. the show is over and all the stuff.
1: <laughs> Cause I, I, with no spoilers, but I wrote it in such a way that we finished up this story and it gave it a, you know, a conclusion but I also opened the door on something else. So, um, yes. And who knows I would love to create something like uh, Becky Albertalli has where there's like a, like she has the Simon verse because you do see other characters, except for the breathe characters. Um, you see the characters from other books interacting in the other ones. So you're like, it's, so it's like seeing an old friend again. Um, and if they end up doing what I want them to do at the very end of the book, they may run into Sky and Ryohei in, uh, in the future, but uh, yeah, I would love to. I have some other things that I'm working on first. One of them is taking Tanabata wish and creating it into a um, manga, and we we want to do it Japanese style. So I'm taking a book that's written in first person, and I'm writing writing it as like a script for okay. a graphic novel. But we're gonna do it Japanese manga style, so that means you're reading from back to front, up to down, and right to left. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> Japanese style, and because it's done from a third person point of view, I can add all kinds of things that. Like Sky, the main character wouldn't know because it's from her story. But now I can do it in a uh, in a way that we can see a lot of different things. We can get inside of Rui Yohei's head. You know, we can see stuff that happened that they talk about in the book, but she didn't see herself. And so it's just been a different way to tell the same story. And who knows? Maybe we'll do the same thing with with Faking Reality or one of the other books. And um, the other thing with Every Reason We Shouldn't, which came out before this book. I had a two book contract with Tortine and they said, "Mm, I don't, I don't want I don't want you to do a a sequel to every reason we should. And part of it is I couldn't because the idea of if Olivia was going to go to the Olympics, that's a four year cycle. So she Mm -hmm. starts the book at 16. And if I'm going to send her to the Olympics, so, you know, go all cutting edge, Uh, like the book is, she would be 20 years old. Okay, well, now we're out of YA territory. Yeah, we're in adult or adult. And that's a totally different story. And there's a totally different, you know, 20 year olds are not are very different from 16. And so like, I'm not sure what to do with this. So we we played around with a couple other things. (laughs) And we ended up going with faking reality instead. But what I'm working on now, I just started on is doing a companion book. So I love, again, taking a page from Becky Albertali where you're taking other characters and you can still see your favorite characters, but maybe you're backing up in time or going forward mm-hmm. in time. And in this case, um, people love our, roller, our aspiring roller derby queen, Mac. And at the time in the book, Mac is 19 years old and she's a single mom. And that's unusual. You don't usually see yeah. that as your best friend of a 16 year old, but um, going back in time with Mac to see what her senior year was like and how giving her a happier story to see when things were really good for her, but we can move it back and forth in time so we can see, do a little update with with Jonah and with Olivia and, but still seeing Mac as she was and how she is, and mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun to play with too.
0: Nice. Well, good. I'm, I'm excited. And the, as you, as you've been talking throughout the interview about all of your other books, now I'm like, now I have to go back and read all of these other ones too, because they totally each one of them sounds like up my alley and oh, other things that I would enjoy. I them. Yeah. <laughs> Before we leave and I close us out, why don't you tell everybody uh, what your website is, where they could follow you on social media?
1: Sure. So it's Sarah Fujimara. So S A R A F Epheson Frank u j i m u r a dot and then I'm on all the socials, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram with that same moniker just because it makes it easier and I people always ask me it's like so is that like your because it's romance is that your romance writer name no that's my real name because I, <laughs> I I don't think I could keep up with like okay when I'm writing this my name is that my it's like no I, I would be confused it's like no, I'm just gonna go and that's also why I write my name in Japanese in the books because I don't I can't come up with a, a second like <laughs> signature that's not my legal signature so I'm like I'm gonna write it in Japanese and then it's special. No, nice. it's just because I can't come up with another signature.
0: So. <laughs> I, um, so I'm, uh, an editor for a blog and we have one of our contributing writers. She is also like an adult romance novelist and she uses a different name. And so like, I always get confused because she'll write like the name she has on Facebook is one thing. And like in our, in our blog group on Facebook. <laughs> book and then the name she has on our website is a whole nother and I oh, I'm always like I always have to ask the editor Tiffany which one's her real
1: name because I cannot remember for the life
0: of me <laughs> like which is her real I, name and which is her writing name her pen name
1: <laughs> no I had a I had a, a similar conversation because I have a friend who um she's known as from her married name in one way and then her her writing persona is in her maiden name and so I had to ask her was like okay so which Karen are you in this situation, and which Karen are you in that situation? So I don't look like I don't know what your last name is. It's like no, I just don't know which box you're in on that day and that which persona you are. I mean, it's still it's her real name and it's, and it's who she is, but it's just who she chooses in the writing community. She's one name and out in you know, mommy verse, it's a different name.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Sarah. This has been so much fun and I have really enjoyed it. And, and I highly encourage everybody listening, if you have not yet read this book, please go out and get it. It is so fantastic and I think that you'll love it.
1: Thank you so much, Leah. I really enjoyed talking with you today and, and I hope I wish you guys the best.
0: Thank you. And I will put links to Sarah's website and social media and a link as well to purchase Faking Reality in the show notes for today. All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening and we will chat again soon. Today's episode featured the book, Faking Reality, by Sarah Fujimura. I'd like to say a special thank you to Sarah for coming on the podcast and chatting with me today. I'd also like to say a special thank you to Anna and Tor Teen for giving me the opportunity to interview Sarah. Be sure to follow YA Book Chat on Instagram, and don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get your episodes as soon as they are available. And have you checked out the YA Book Chat Patreon yet? There are so many fantastic perks. Be sure to check the show notes today for more info. YA Book Chat was created, is edited, and hosted by me, Leah Stuhler.